Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 14. If you have a Bible on this morning, if you would throw your hand up, we have people who would love to get Bibles into your hands. As we go to Hosea chapter 14, grab one of these Bibles, grab your own Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take one of these home as our gift to you. And turn to Hosea chapter 14. It's one of the minor prophets. It's the first one after the big prophets. So if you hit like Daniel, Ezekiel, all those ones, Isaiah, keep going. You'll hit smaller books. Hosea is the first of those smaller books. Hosea chapter 14. As you're turning there, I was, I was thinking about, um, it's in Acts chapter 3, where, where Peter is, Peter and John, they're on the way to the temple, and they run into this guy who's begging for money. And this guy, it says in the text, has never walked. He's been lame since birth. And so he's, he's sitting there begging. That's the only way he can make money, because he, 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 that's the only way he can, he can have uh, food on the table is if he begs. And so there he is begging, and, and Peter and John come by, and he says to them, hey, do you have any money? And Peter basically says, we're broke, bro. Like, I imagine you're probably going, look at us. What do you think? He goes, I don't have any money. But he says this. He says, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. How cool is that, right? The guy wanted some pocket change. He gets, he gets healed. So what happens is they go into the temple. You, you can imagine what's going on now. If you hadn't walked your whole life, would you kind of be like, huh, cool, thanks. No, he was dancing and jumping and shouting. He was trying out those brand new legs, right? And Peter walks in and here's what happens. He walks into the temple and who's in the temple? It would be the same group of people who just maybe over a month ago had cried out like a mob Give us Barabbas. When Pilate said, listen, I can release Jesus to you and and he can be set free or or who else would you want released? And they said, give us the murderer Barabbas. We want Jesus tortured and crucified. So Peter comes in. He's just healed this guy. He's dancing around. He's walking to the temple and and he sees this group of people, this, this mob of people. Now, what do you think came out of Peter's mouth? They start to get excited seeing this lame guy walking like, that's awesome. What would you do if you're Peter? Would you, would you speak words of condemnation? Are you kidding me? You're gonna celebrate with this guy? You're the ones who, right? Could he not? I mean, put, put yourself in the story though because you and I in the, that story, you and I would be the mob. We were the ones crying out, give us Barabbas. Peter begins and he begins to talk to the people and he, he tells them what they've done. He says, hey, it was you who asked for the murder." to be released. It was, it was you who asked for the Messiah, God, the son, God himself to be crucified and tortured. And then you'd be thinking as Peter's saying that, if you're listening on the sidelines, maybe you're like, yeah, Peter, let him have it. Bring it. But then Peter says one of the most compassionate things. And listen, listen, this is God's word for you today as well. It's his message for us today. Peter says, repent. In light of what you've done, in light of who God is, Peter says, repent and turn to God that your sins would be wiped out. And times of refreshment, that's what he says, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, so often we hear that word repent. I mean, if, if, if you grew up in church or around church, that word repent does not seem kind. If you've seen the guys with the big signs, repent, Right? And it can seem like this harsh, condemning word to say, repent, and and we hear it that way, but listen to what it really is. It's repent, turn, and find the refreshing of God's presence. I mean, who here needs a a refresh, refreshment of God's work in your life? 
Right? Who, who here would say you come in here weary and, and tired and dry and you could use a fresh work of the Lord this morning? Listen, it can come, but it comes here. It comes through this. It comes through repentance. Hosea, if you're just joining us, we've been tracking through this book. This is our last sermon in this series, and it's the story of a prophet who God called to live out grace in a very real way, to show God's love in a way that was so dramatically real. And he says, Hosea, I want you to marry this gal named Gomer. Tough enough that she had a name Gomer, but here's what's worse than the name, all right? She's hugely unfaithful to Hosea to the point where she sells herself as a prostitute. And God asks Hosea, hey, in the midst of your wife going out after other men over and over and over again, I want you to continue to love her and I want you to bring her home. God, God asks Hosea to do this to show Israel and listen, to show us his relentless love and pursuit of us that as we live like Gomer, as, as we turn away from his compassionate grace and love and, and our hearts pursue every other kind of love, God pursues us with his relentless, redeeming love. As you read through Hosea, you start to see that, that we have this default setting of our hearts where we run away from God. We run to all kinds of other things that can't give us what God promises to give us. We run looking for identity. We run looking for security. We run looking for meaning. We run looking for depth. And then we hit this book of Gomer. And the end of the book here, And the book of Hosea here, and like Gomer, we can see ourselves. Gomer's continued to go after other loves, and now God's speaking to Israel, and you think this book would end with condemnation. You think God would kind of pull a Sodom and Gomorrah here and go, all right, okay, you kept doing this? Well, here comes my wrath. Nuclear meltdown coming. And it's not, though, God's not saying, Israel, I'm so done with you. God doesn't pull Hosea aside and say, hey, Hosea, didn't work. Kick Gomer out. Step aside because I'm about to bring down some serious wrath. No, what does God say? Instead, chapter 14 is this plea of love from God, a call for Israel to come home. When you think repentance, think that. Repentance is coming home. It's God saying, hey, it's, it's not too late. If, if, if you've backslidden and you've, you've gone back into old sinful patterns that you, you had before you came to Christ and you've backslidden into those, it's not too late. If, 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 you've, if you've front-slidden, just made that word up. We're gonna go with it, all right? <laughs> if, if backsliding is going back to an old way of life, front-sliding, it's, it's a, the smiley religious life. It's the hypocritical life. It's, it's looking good in church while our heart is so far because we crave other loves. On the outside, we show a love for Jesus, but our heart, we live like a gomer. And this, this book is supposed to shock us. This idea of Hosea and Gomer is to shock us to see the depth of our sin. And, and we clean it up really nice. And as Christians, we, we, we can turn to God, turn away from God and look everywhere else to, to find our satisfaction. And we say, you know what? I'm just, I'm on a journey. I'm in a struggle. And Hosea comes along and, and helps us remember the beauty of God's grace by helping us see the scandal of his grace, by helping us see our sin clearly. And we say, yeah, I'm on a bit of a journey. Hosea says, no, actually you're Gomer, a prostitute. You're whoring after other loves. 
It's not a nice picture, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to shake us out of our distracted lives. We have lives filled with so many things that we we no longer see God and we we brag about how busy we are. Yeah, man, I'm just swamped. And God's saying, "Man, man, slow down. Look at yourself. Look at where you are. Stop moving from thing to thing to thing. Look where your heart's at. Look at your spending your life on. Hosea is meant to help us see God a little more clearly. To see ourselves a little more clearly. And God's saying in the midst of us, even when we're neglecting him, maybe because we're too busy or neglecting him because we want what we want, he's saying this, return to me. Come back to me. Repent is the sweetest word ever. Repent is the the faithful spouse saying to the unfaithful spouse, I love you, come home. In fact, you read verse one of chapter 14. God says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you've stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. So what's repentance look like? Here's what you see in in chapter 14. We return how? We return with honesty. Return with honesty. You see in these these verses, there's this this deep honesty. There's an owning of sin. Notice it says, return to the Lord, your God, for you've stumbled because of your iniquity. No, I stumbled because it was dark. You turned the light out. Yeah, but I tripped over a pile of laundry. You left the laundry there, right? It's, it's that owning. I go, no, it's my sin. And, and to own our sin, man, that takes so much humility to be able to say, I am Gomer. This is me. But that's where repentance starts. I mean, think about King David when, when he sinned so badly. I mean, David's life and that, that time in his life, I mean, it was, it was a dumpster fire of a life. He, and what's going on? He's lazing around when he should be in battle. In fact, literally it says he's lounging on his couch, all right? So he's supposed to be in battle, but he's not. He, he's lou- lounging around. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof. He looks, he looks again, he looks again and says, bring her to me. He's the king. He gets what he wants. He has her way with her and then discovers she's pregnant. How's he covered up? He tries to entice Uriah the Hittite. Hey, come home from battle and sleep with your wife. And Uriah, a godly dude's like, no way. I'm in battle. I'm not doing that. So what's David have to do? He has to kill Uriah. He's confronted by Nathan. What could he do in that moment as he's confronted? Listen, he, he, he could have said, you know what? It's not easy being king, Nathan. I got a lot of pressures as king. He, he could have said, hey, hey, whatever happened to modesty? What's up with Bathsheba? It's kind of her fault. No, when he's confronted with his sin, he breaks down and he says, I've sinned against God. And the text here says, return. It says, you left, you chose, you stumbled. The first steps in coming home is owning where you are and saying, it's not because my parents raised me the way they did. It's not the Canaanite culture they've raised me and it's not the Assyrians and their whole political scheme going on. No, no, it says here, God says, you stumbled because of your iniquity. I mean, hear what God's saying to, to Israel. It's so relevant for us today. 
Yeah, there's external things going on all around us and pressures and problems. I mean, here the the Canaanites worship Baal. The Assyrians were all about worldly uh, gain and force and ungodly power. They had their own kings that were totally messed up, horrible leaders. The whole system's busted up. But God's saying those aren't excuses for a heart that just continually runs away from the living God to things that aren't God. We get so good at blaming, don't we? We blame culture, we blame our family, we blame churches, we blame people. I love what G.K. Chesterton said in in a famous letter to the editor he put into the paper. It said this, this is all it said. Dear sir, regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? I am, yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Awesome, right? God's saying the reason you worship other gods than God, the reason your heart loves these things more than Jesus, the reason we trust in our stuff more than our relationship with Christ, the reason we're, we're willing to, to use people and abandon relationships, the reason that we, we play games with each other, the reason we do all of that is not because our parents failed us, not because culture's so messed up, not because Hollywood puts out movies that are just so jacked up. No, the reason all that happens is because our, heart, our hearts are hardwired for spiritual adultery. We need to be honest with that. You also see not just the honesty of owning the sin, but you see the honesty of the confession, of the repentance in verse two. Hosea is calling the people. He says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Accept what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. He's saying, come with words. He's saying, come with vows, not just sacrifices. You see, in Hosea 5, 6, it it talked a lot about how they would bring these sacrifices. They they did the religious thing, but their hearts weren't true and honest. And, And God's saying, no, be broken, be honest, be humble. Come to me, not, not, not just with their sacrifice. You, you notice that all through the Old Testament, all through the religious sacrificial system, and now into the New Testament, here as we gather today, God never separates our hearts from religious action. He, he doesn't want empty forms. He doesn't want religious people playing religious games. He wants people who's, whose hearts are actually connected to their actions. He's, he's always looking at our hearts. You can't just roll in and kind of throw the sheep on the altar. Hey, there's the sheep, Lord. Sorry. I mean, God actually says in Isaiah 66, 3, he says, when you do that, if you, if you sacrifice that way, without honesty and humility, you're not bringing a lamb, you're throwing a dead dog before me. And that's harsh. He says in Amos that, that when you, you bring your worship, but your hearts are so far from you, you know what God says in Amos? He says, I hate your worship. I hate all the things you do religiously. That's harsh. I hate that you raise your hands and sing so loud because your hearts are not there. And it sounds harsh, but put it in the context of what happens in Hosea. This is the picture you should be thinking of. When your heart is so far from God and you think, I'll just do the religious thing, it's Gomer coming home with a man on each shoulder and saying, Hosea, I'm home, man, I love you. I'm gonna make dinner for you. All the time. Well, she's got two guys with her. God's saying, come with humility, come with honesty, come with brokenness, come with humility. You you see this all over scripture. You see in Ezra 10 where, where God convicts the people and what do they do? They spend all day worshiping and weeping in repentance before the Lord. 
I mean, it seems odd. Would, would that not seem weird to you if, if you came in here and you just saw people weeping in repentance? It seems weird in our culture. And yet, man, why? Why does it seem so extreme? I mean, God says this in Isaiah 66. He says, the one I esteem, he who's humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifice of God is a broken heart. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. That's normal Christianity. If there's no room for humility and brokenness in us, there's no room for God in our lives. No room for God. Why? Because without humility and brokenness, we become so turned inward, we're not even looking for him. Now, here's the beauty of this, though. I mean, do you ever roll in here on a Sunday morning and you feel like, man, I just don't measure up? Right? Some of you have too high of self-esteem. We'll cover that in the next sermon series. Right? But you do, right? You, you kind of can roll in here, man, and you sometimes feel like, man, I don't measure up to what, what, what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and maybe you feel like, man, I, what I'm giving to the Lord isn't enough. How I'm serving isn't enough. But listen, when you have a humble heart, when you have a heart that loves the Lord, where, where you see your sin clearly, you see his grace, God's looking down on you and he's going, man, that's what I love. Remember the account in the Gospels where, where Jesus is hanging out in the temple courts and, and him and his disciples are watching people give their offering. And there's, there's groups of people that are coming in with their huge entourage and then they're throwing their big sum of money in there and they're announcing it to the people like, look at me, what's up? And everyone's, wow, those guys are awesome. Look how much they give. And then what happens? This old widow, nobody notices her. She kind of just comes in and her, her clothes are ragged and she drops in just a mite, just a small penny in. And what does Jesus do? He could give a rip about those other people bragging about their hearts so far from him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just check this out, guys. Look, look, look. Can you imagine? Can you picture him bringing Peter and John? And Jim going, Man, look at that. I love that. That is awesome. That brings glory to my name. Why does he love that? Because her heart is right. God does not compare the size of your gift. He, he looks at your heart. So when, when you return, when you repent, it's not the religious motions we go through. It's an honest heart that says clearly, God, I chose this sin. I abandoned you. Thank you that you've never abandoned me. Here's the thing. I don't know about you, but when I hold on to my sin, when I avoid it, when I hide it, man, it just seems to build up, doesn't it? It's, it's, there's, there's a weight and an anxiety that comes along with hiding sin and it, and it feels like there's this huge avalanche coming behind me. And so what do I do? I'll tell you what I do. Man, I just get busy. I just keep, I'll do more things. I'll just keep moving. As long as I try to keep a step ahead of this and keep going, then that avalanche of, of my sin won't hit me. But here's the thing, maybe, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is to let the avalanche hit you, is to stop and confess to take God at his word, where God says, listen, I'll lift up the humble, but I'll oppose the proud. I heard someone say this just this last week. They said, God will either take you to the school of humility or to the school of humiliation. He's either gonna teach you with his grace as you humble yourself and he'll teach you with grace and build you up and create something new in you or, or in, in pride when we hold on to sin, when we don't humble ourselves, he will teach us with his discipline and that's humiliation at times. 
all in his love as he's bringing us back. And God lifts up a broken heart. Why? Because with that broken heart, you say, I trust you. I'm not making excuses. I trust you. I take you at your word. And I'm trusting that you're better than this sin. So here's our second point this morning. We, we come in honesty. We return in, in honesty. We also return in trust. We return in trust. I mean, that, that's what this whole idea of repentance is. It's us saying, listen, I trust God that you're greater than this sin. I trust your promises more than what this is promising me. And we return with that trust. Look at verse three. So Hosea says this, and then he do this. And, and it's almost like Israel's responding back. Assyria will not save us. We'll not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Repentance, when you come to that place where you go, I got nothing left. I mean, Assyria was this, this huge growing empire. They had tons of soldiers and horses. They had all that. And for this whole time, Israel, like Gomer, had been saying, forget God, man. I'm going to go with, with Assyria. I'm going to go with culture. I'm going to go with the powerful. I'm going to go with what everybody else is saying. My hope is there. And they put their hope in that. They put their hope in the works of their own hands. I mean, think of the stuff we go to for hope. We go to Facebook looking for identity. Man, if I just get comments, if I get likes. We go to dead religion to feel good. And, and God's saying, hey, listen, listen, returning to me is returning to where you see, where you find your hope, where you find your identity, where you find your purpose. We need to stop running to all these other kinds of loves and instead run to the God who created us. And so easy we worship the work of our hands, don't we? What I can do, the work I've got. Worship our families, our kids, our comfort, our vacations, our, our, our friendship circles, our achievements. We worship our own preferences. And God says, repent. God says, repent. Return to me. Now, when God says repent, like, like in Hosea 2.7, use the same word repent. When Hosea says to Gomer, repent, what is Hosea saying to Gomer? Leave your other lovers and come home. Leave those men you're pursuing and return to your husband. That's repentance. It's, it's I'm putting my trust in God. Because here's what repentance is. Repentance says you can't have both. You drop the one and pursue the other. Repentance is turning. It's saying I'm no longer pursuing this. It's coming to that place where you trust God, you're more worthy. I've, I've trusted this sin for so long. But like Gomer, I see how that sin's just used me. It's not beautiful and life-giving. I mean, the, the gods we worship, they actually devour us. Assyria eventually was gonna be used by God to come in and purify Israel. God wants us to turn from false gods, from false lovers. He wants to, to come back to the true God who really loves us, the, the true husband who's pursuing us and wants to be in relationship with us. And he says, repent, turn to me. I mean, look at the, the end of verse three where it says, in you, the orphan finds mercy. See, listen, listen, seek the relationship that you, you lost. It can be regained. And, and I love that picture of, of an orphan. Why? Because it's so raw. An orphan needs to be rescued. An orphan needs an advocate. An orphan needs adoption. An orphan needs food and covering and protection. On their own, they're lost. And so what do we do? We come humbly and go, I can't save myself. 
I can't fix this. We're orphans. We, we can't self-rescue. We, we can't self-actualize. We can't self-define. We can't earn our way and try harder to fix what's gone wrong in our hearts. We need help. And so we turn from where we've been running for help and, and with repentance, we turn from that because here it is, repentance without relinquishing is useless. If we don't actually relinquish and turn from what we're holding on to, we're actually not trusting in God as our husband. Now, if you're a, a guy and you've been tracking through this book of Hosea, you're like, man, I just can't kind of get the whole picture. Me being this girl and this guy who's pursuing me, I don't, I don't get this. Well, well, here, how about this? How, how about take the image that, that God also gives us that we're sheep? Like, I like that better. I don't want to be a whore. I'll be a sheep, right? Yeah, sheep's not much better, okay? Here's the thing with sheep. Sheep are really dumb, okay? Sheep are stupid. Sheep need a shepherd. They're lost on their own. You don't see chicken herders. Why? Because chickens can get along just fine without us, right? But sheep need shepherds. Why? Why? Because here's something I, I heard. Sheep will eat grass. I think I've talked about this before. Sheep will eat grass until it's gone. They'll, they'll eat poisonous grass, but they'll also eat good grass until it's gone. And you know what they'll do? They'll just keep eating. They'll start eating the dirt. They need a shepherd to go, no, no, stop. Let me lead you to where there's actually life-giving grass. So God leads us as our shepherd to joy and to peace, to direction and purpose and abundant life and hope. Hope that isn't found anywhere else but in him, in his presence, by abiding in him, by following him as our shepherd, not these other things we follow. So we follow him in his word, in prayer, in holiness, but, but so often, how much, how much do we look to other shepherds, Right? If I had more things, if I had a, a more successful career, if I had a bigger home, if I had the newest technology, if I, if I had people who liked me more, if I had all that, and we, we seek it in the wrong places. Listen, you're just eating dirt. If more people liked me, if, I, if people saw me as something special, if I was more popular, more attractive, more outgoing, and more my own identity, then I'd be happy. It's dirt. If I had more control, if I could control the circumstances around me more or people more, if I had more influence and more control, it's dirt. We're eating more dirt and we keep coming back to the dirt thinking, man, it didn't satisfy me, but maybe I just eat more of it. We find nothing but discontentment. Listen, we, we need to stop going back to the same shepherds. We need to stop going back eating the same dirt. We need to look and see who our shepherd is and return to God. Because everything else outside of him leads to futility, leads to fatigue, leads to frustration. Maybe you hear that and, and despair can set in. I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I've been eating dirt for so long. I don't know if I'll ever change. I don't know if I could ever be com committed to God in that way and satisfied in God. Maybe I, I'm so beyond that kind of hope. Listen, listen, God isn't just a shepherd out there. He's a shepherd who leads and he leads sheep with unrighteous hearts. Jesus didn't call the righteous, he called sinners to repentance. He didn't come for those who were well, he came for those who were sick. Here's the only way that you won't respond to repentance. Here's the only way that there is no hope for us where we'll just keep eating dirt. It's when we forget that we're broken sinners. The only people who, who don't experience Jesus are the ones who think they don't need him but it's when you see that you're sick. It's when you, you see that you're a lost sheep. It's when you see that you're a, a wandering gomer and you come as this dumb, messed up sheep with a mouth full of dirt and you say, I need you, Jesus. And he loves to show mercy. He, he rejoices in that return. 
Now, now why, why would you do this? Why would you repent? Why, why does God want you to come to him? Well, listen to what he says in verse four. I love this. It, it, it feels like Hosea has been writing. It feels like when verse four hits, it's like God says to Hosea, hey, hey, give me the pen. I wanna write this. This is so important. I wanna speak now. And you see how it changes to I. This is now God speaking. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. Here's our last point this morning. When we return in honesty and in trust, we're returning to a restored relationship. We're returning to a restored relationship. I mean, so often we, we hear this idea of, of turn from your sin and that's good and that's true, but let's not forget the other side of that. Forget the promise of grace, the promise of restoration, the promise of, of transformation. Because God's saying, listen, when you do that, when you actually return, when you relinquish what you've been going after and you return to me, he says, there's grace. Life can be different. You go from being Gomer, a prostitute, to being a beautiful bride. For, from being an orphan to a son or a daughter. And God steps in, he goes, I will heal you. I'll love you freely. I mean, can you hear that? Like what God's saying there. I mean, how does God do that? How can he love us freely? He says, for my anger has turned from them. I mean, I wrote in my Bible right there, I wrote Jesus. The righteous anger God has against sin that deserves punishment. The anger he has because we've cheated again and again and again and again. It was placed on Jesus for us so that in, in repentance, we no longer experience his wrath against sin. We now experience his grace and healing. I mean, the reason he should abandon all those false lovers, those false gods that, that we've created, the reason we should abandon them it's because God wants to offer us himself. God wants to give us grace. God says, I'm gonna transform you. I'm gonna give you my very presence through the work of Jesus. I mean, Jesus' death makes it possible for you and I to be connected. Now, what's that look like? Look at verse five. You see what this new life looks like. This is awesome. This is what draws our hearts. Verse five says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the more you go after those other loves, the more you pursue those as the source of your life, they're not gonna give you the good life you hope they give you. The more you go after them, the more it's going to bring pain. The more your life looks like a desert when you pursue that. The more it leaves your soul dry. I mean, have you experienced that? Those, those days where you just keep pursuing after sin. You search after power or influence. You run after things to self-medicate. You, you put the weight of your soul on people and it leaves us more like, like a desert than a rich garden. And God's saying, this is what I want to do for you. I, I want to be the dew for your soul. I want to be the rain that pours down on you and makes you come alive. I, I, I want to be, I want to be the, the one that causes you to turn green and have vines that spread and grow and roots that go deep. And in returning to God, that which was barren, our hearts, our souls, our lives, God says, man, I'm bringing life. And what was ugly, I'm bringing beauty. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. Look at verse six. 
The fruit of repentance is this. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Man, we come covered in shame and guilt. And, and we thought we we're being taken care of by those idols. Remember back in Hosea, it said that Hosea would run out of money. She'd go after these men and, and they were supposed to help her, but instead she comes back to Hosea just covered in shame. I mean, imagine what it'd be like to be living on the street for years. And you come back after that, maybe addicted to drugs by now, maybe scars from the drug use, maybe definitely a, a smell that isn't a good smell about you. And God sees you and goes, man, this is not how I made you. I know right now you're covered in, in, in dirt and sin. Uh, I know that your other loves, your other lovers have almost destroyed you. And I, I know, man, you stink to high heaven right now. He says, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cover you with my righteousness. I'm gonna make you clean. I'm gonna tend to your wounds. I'm gonna make you smell like a beautiful garden. And that's what these verses are saying. God's saying, I'm going to restore you. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've got some sin in my past that I, I don't even like talking about. And yet to see that God can take that ugliness and restore it. Listen, God is a restorer. God is a restorer. God is a restorer. And he takes what was shame and guilt and brokenness from your sinful choices and he brings new life. Look at verse eight, it says, oh, oh Ephraim, that's, that's Israel. What have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. He's saying, yeah, I'm this, this evergreen tree that brings fruit to you. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist, all right, but I do know some things about trees. I've never picked an apple off one of the evergreens in my backyard, all right? So what's God saying here? I'm, I'm an evergreen that gives fruit. I think God's mixing metaphors here to make a point. An evergreen is a tree that is always in season. No leaves fall off. It's always green. God's saying, listen, I'm an evergreen fruit tree, all right? Like there, there's, there's fruit for you. There's, there's blessing for you. There's hope for you. There's joy and peace. And, and we, we look to these other idols. Listen, the other idols, the other gods, they're liars and frauds. Don't you feel it where, where you strive and strive and strive, but you're never full? Or, or maybe you finally achieve what you're striving for and, and you still feel empty. God says, I'm the one who provides for your soul with an unending supply of life, an unending supply of beauty, an unending supply of hope. Then look how he ends off, verse nine. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. He's saying, listen, if you're wise, walk on this path. If you're wise, walk in repentance. If you're wise, seek me for your hope. And, and just this idea of, of ending off this book saying, hey, if you're wise, this is the way you walk. It reminds me of Jesus when he says, hey, there are two ways you can go. There are two ways to follow Jesus. There are two ways of walking with Christ. There's a narrow way and there's a wide way. The wide way, the wide road that you can follow. I mean, it's easy to get on. It's easy to stay on. You don't need to do much. 
You sort of just follow impulses wherever they take you. You follow whatever culture says, wherever it blows. This is the new me. This is who we are now. And, and, the, and the thing about the wide road, wide road there, there's usually very little, if no, resistance on it. I would say the wide road for me, it's like the huge, lazy, floating river at the water park, right? You just sit and you just go. I don't need to do anything. The wide road doesn't really challenge the adultery of our hearts. It allows us to go back and forth between the different gods we follow, the different lovers, and it allows us to do that the rest of our life until in exhaustion, we give up the ghost. But the narrow road, the narrow road's different. The narrow road actually presses in on us. It gives resistance. There, there's actually pain on the narrow road. There's very few people on the narrow road. It's, it's, it's a road of, listen, ongoing repentance where we repent early and often. We're just turning to Jesus again and again. And, and slowly over time on this narrow road, what happens is your heart begins to be formed in such a way that the adultery of your hearts, the, the way we love everything else more than we love Jesus, it starts to be renewed and changed. Listen, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, it's a painful process. Painfully and slowly this happens. We begin to look more and more like Jesus and a little less and less like Gomer. There are times the narrow road will feel like it's killing you because what's happening is the narrow road is cutting things out of you, things that, that you think are good and God's like, that's not good, I need to take that away. So listen, as the worst team comes up, as we close off this morning, it's been a great book to walk through, Hosea has been. I'm sure, especially when it started, it provided some interesting conversations with your kids around the dinner table. Mom, what's a whore? Mm. Thanks, Pastor Kai, right? But, but now that we're, we're coming to the end of this book, here, here's the question. The question is, now what? Here's the now what. It's, it's verse nine. Whoever is wise and discerning, what are you going to do on your walk with Jesus? What's the default setting of your heart going to be? Will you choose the wide way or the narrow way? Knowing that our hearts so easily go after, as a default setting, they go after the wide way. What choice are you going to make as a wise and discerning follower of Christ? Jesus saying, hey, listen, your heart is like Gomer, but I can transform that. You're being shaped every day, wooed by other lovers every day. Discernment comes in when we lean into the word. Discernment comes in when we, we get other believers around us, when, when we're in prayer and fasting and we, we press into this. There, there's an effort on the narrow road. There's an effort in following Jesus. L listen to me clearly. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. The effort doesn't earn you God's favor. We do it in response to God's promises and to the favor that he would already have in Jesus Christ. Now listen, you can lay down on the lazy river or you can turn even this morning and run as fast as you can to return back to Jesus. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that even right now, Lord God, Father, I think of what it means to be a radical Christ follower. 
And Lord, oftentimes I think of that, I think of what it means to be on mission in our communities, to be sent out by you, to be in those dark places, to, to risk our lives for the cause of the gospel. And yet, Lord, I recognize reading through the book of Hosea that, that maybe, maybe the start, maybe the radical beginning is us just turning our hearts to you. Maybe a radical start is just being in your word four or five times a week. Maybe a radical start for us, Lord God, as you draw our hearts to be in a gospel community. Not, not because our small group provides everything we want or not because our small group has everybody in it that we love and like, but God, because it's shaping us and forming us. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would be followers of you, that God, read your word, spend time in prayer, gather around each other, pointing each other to the hope we have in you. And an honest repentance, in a repentance that trusts you above everything else, we return to you again and experience a restored relationship. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.